We're now going to study the third section. This will be the third class on the verses of Kapitel Kufutes. The verses of Psalm 119 that correspond to the letter Pei. Tonight we're going to learn two verses. Verse 131, that will be followed by verse 132. Now to be sure, the verses we'll study tonight are not really mutually exclusive of the previous verses, but there is going to be a bit of a shift. In the first two psukim, the first two verses on the letter pay, David HaMelech spoke about how extraordinary Torah is. Ploy, said Vesecha, your testimonies are wondrous, unfathomable, and therefore he guards them. David HaMelech spoke about the words of Hashem which illuminate, even so much so as to make fools wise. And here, David HaMelech will speak not of Hashem's Torah, but of his desire for Hashem's Torah. So there's a bit of a paradigm shift here. He speaks not about the object of Torah itself, waxing poetic about the wonders of Torah, but here David HaMelech is going to speak of his great yearning and desire, and there'll be a word showing up tonight which is not found anywhere else in the entirety of our Torah, in the entire Tanakh. This is the only time such a word is brought. And it's an unusual word. It's an unusual word certainly to be used in the context of spiritual pursuit of Torah or a mitzvah. By now you should all be intrigued. And so let us together learn about the opened mouth monarch who couldn't swallow quickly enough. Pasuk kuf lamed aleph pi Fo'arti, my mouth, says King David, opens wide. Ve'eshofa, and I swallow. Ki, because. Le'mitzvah to and for your mitzvahs, yo'ovti, I crave, or lust. Yeah, I know, lust is a strange word to use in context of a mitzvah. In fact, the Ibn Ezra is quick to point out, it has no companion. This is a peerless expression. David HaMelech lusts for mitzvahs. He craves, yearns, desires to the point of a lust for a mitzvah. And why does he use such graphic terminology? Swallow this and you'll understand. So Rashi says, on his commentary in verse 131, Rashi does not say anything about the wide opening of David's mouth. He comments only on the word, which we will translate to swallow deeply. Says Rashi, It comes from the terminology that indicates Swallowing. Now the term belia could mean anything from that which is absorbed by a pot, a hot pot is called a belia. It could mean anything from the sea swallowing up the drowning ship or its victims. 
Or it could mean a person who swallows food or perhaps somebody who gulps or pants and swallows air. Rashi doesn't talk about what kind of swallowing he refers to. He simply says it's l'shoin blia. It comes from a terminology that indicates swallowing. And he says kimoi will find a kindred word, a similar syntax or telling terminology in the book of Jeremiah. In Yirmiyahu Beis, in the second chapter of the book of Jeremiah, there it says, What does it talk about? What do we refer to in Jeremiah 5, verse 14? So, We'll come back to verse 24 in a moment. But first, well, let's start with verse Jeremiah. Verse, verse 24 says, translates as the, it's a metaphor, a wild donkey, accustomed to desert. In her great desire, inhales deeply or snuffs up the wind. So, Rashi says it, it's like swallowing. And he says, but he doesn't say it means swallowing air. He says, Kamoi, it's like swallowing air, but it's actually not swallowing air. It's just like swallowing air. And the truth is that we're not necessarily talking about air here. At least, Rashi doesn't say we are. He says, it's like swallowing. For example, he says, we find the terminology Shafa, which means l'shem which is the idea of swallowed up, when we describe in metaphoric terms this wild donkey that snuffs up air. Rashi doesn't, doesn't explain, doesn't tell us what he's talking about. I mean, the, the truth is this verse is like in riddles, talking in riddles. I open my mouth and I swallow because I lust or crave your mitzvahs. All right. Last time I checked, even if you lust to crave mitzvahs, it has nothing to do with opening your mouth and swallowing. Firstly, the vast overwhelming majority of mitzvahs do not entail eating. Secondly, even the mitzvahs that do have an edible component, you have to first chew it. There's a famous question in the Gemara. Bola matzah. If somebody swallows matzah wholesale, the question is if he even fulfilled the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to eat. If it's a mitzvah of le'echol, al-achilat matzah, we eat by first putting it in our mouth and then making it something which is pureed enough so that we can actually ingest it, so we can swallow it. No normal person takes whole foods and swallows them. It's just not healthy. Your stomach isn't built that way. You first need to have the enzymes attack the food and start to break it down while your teeth are doing a very able job of chewing up the food, unless you don't have teeth and you had to puree the food, somebody else did the job for you. But even if you're pureeing it in your mouth, the saliva that starts the process of decomposition, of breakdown of the food, so that it should be sent then to the stomach, and the stomach does its work, and then from the stomach it goes to the large intestine and to the small intestine, until the food is actually prepared so that it can be assimilated into the body and join plasma, the plasma that keeps us going. So... What, what does this mean? I lust mitzvahs, so I opened mouth, my mouth wide and I swallowed. 
I mean, you want to open your mouth wide, that's fine. So open your mouth and then, then chew. Wh- why would it even be a virtue to open your mouth wide? It, it sounds like, 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 like a donkey brain. What is it? Open his mouth wide. It's not like civilized. What, what is it? What, what is this? Open my mouth wide, swallowed because I lusted for mitzvahs. I mean, the verse doesn't seem to make sense. What is David Melech? What is King David saying? You'd think that Rashi would explain to us the meaning or the metaphor of the wide open mouth and the swallowing. Rashi says nothing essentially. He just tells you that you should know the verbiage of the Esh Afa is Lashon Belia. It means it comes from the terminology of swallowed. When something is Belua, it is swallowed up. There's a Mishnah in Kalim that speaks about a brick that has a ring swallowed in it, balua betoichai. And the question is, if it's ritually impure, does that ritual impurity, so to speak, broadcast outward or radiate outward? Balua could refer to a, 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 a piece of metal which is, in a sense, wedged into a piece of wood, deep into a piece of wood. It's also balua. Balua simply means it's swallowed up. Something is surrounded by something else. So he says, Loshem balia. It means swallowed up. What? Swallowed what? And he gives you a cross-reference in the metaphor of a wild donkey who snuffs air, so the air is swallowed up by the donkey. First of all, the donkey is snuffing the air. He's, uh, he doesn't say the person is bringing in the air. Most people breathe through the nose, not through the mouth. <laughs> Open your mouth wide, and you swallow the air. Who swallows air? Now the Mitzudah is seeing, he says, Pa'arti means Inyan Psicha, means to open. And he says, it's Kimoi, for example, we'll find something in Isaiah 5, Uparofia. He opened her mouth wide. This is also a, a metaphor. It speaks about like, a, like the Gehenim or the netherworld. It says that it, the world expanded itself. Herchiva Sha'ol, the Sha'ol, the, the abyss, the grave, the netherworld, opened, it, it expanded. And it opened its mouth in a measureless way, without measure. Without measure. Like the Mitzudah Sian says in the book of Yeshayo, He opened it extraordinarily. It's a wide open. Ha! Open the mouth like a, in, a, in an unnatural, unseeming way. Okay. So now we know that this is a, this is a the metaphor is. Uh, his mouth is hanging open or forced open. David Bach's got a forced open mouth. The Eshafa, it's very interesting. But Siddhasin says, Inyani Hamshacha. It means drawing in. It means drawing. El Beisablia to something which swallows it. So the mouth is open wide and then it's, it's drawing in. And he brings the same pasuk from Yuyo. Now, this is really interesting. They use the terminology Shaf, Kamai Hamshacha, drawing in, because, or Hamshacha means it's drawn in or it enters. The truth is that when a person breathes, you don't actually take a breath. Your lungs do the work for you. You don't do anything. If a person doesn't have to consciously open his or her mouth or nose, most of us don't even think when we breathe. It's a, it's a mindless thing. It's not something that's premeditated. It's something that happens naturally. As long as your orifices, meaning your nose or your mouth, are open, your lungs will automatically take in the air and they will expand. And if you open your mouth wide, your lungs will expand wider. Air will rush in more quickly. The air rushes in 
rather than swallowing. It's not, you don't actually swallow the air. If a person is <gasps> taking breaths, something's wrong. Either your lungs aren't working right or there isn't enough oxygen in the air. Something's wrong. In a normative situation, a person doesn't have to pant and he doesn't have to take in air and he doesn't have to consciously swallow anything, but the lungs expand naturally by themselves. They fill themselves with air and the lungs then will exhale and send the air out. And the windpipe or the windways are simply windways. You aren't breathing with your mouth. You aren't breathing with your nose. Your lungs are using your nostrils. Your lungs are using perhaps your mouth in order for them to get air. And so it's Lashon Hamshacha. So, so Matsuda says it's not so much Belia. It's not so much about swallowing, but it's Hamshacha El Beisa It's being drawn into the place where it's swallowed up. Okay, so he also seems to indicate air, but he never says that it's actually talking about taking a breath. He never says this is about breathing in deeply. Never says that. And then Tzudah doesn't explain anything. Tzudah says what he, what he says just about the verbiage and doesn't explain. Does not explain the metaphor at all. What's going on? So, the oldest commentary that I could find on this chapter of Tilim is actually the Medrash Tilim. And going back to the words of our sages, our sages tell us, Pi po'arti ve'shafo, says the Medrash Tilim, po'arti pi litoratcha. I open my mouth wide for your Torah. Lama, why did you open your mouth wide for the Torah? Says the Medrash, the reason is ki l'mitzvah secha yo'avti. Because I craved, because I lusted, I panted because I wanted, I desired your mitzvahs. So what does that mean? What does that have to do with the open mouth? So the, the, the Medrash says something very interesting. The Medrash says, Kishem, just like, which is terminology that is akin to metaphorically speaking. Shepoyerim pihem b'nei adam, that a person might open his mouth wide lemalkish for a raindrop. So if somebody's very thirsty and he wants to drink and he's waiting for the rain and there's no, it's a parched or arid area, so he opens his mouth wide for the rain. And he says that there's an example of this in the book of Job. Example of this. Mary says, you find this also in the book of Job in chapter 29, verse 23. He says, He says, you, you, um, He opens his mouth wide in order to take in the rain. All right, what's going on over here? The Medrash Tillam started talking about opening your mouth for Torah because you crave mitzvahs. And then, and then all of a sudden we went the direction of opening your mouth for rain. So what's the connection to Torah? So the Medrash says, well, there actually is a very profound co connection. The metaphor that David Melech is using here perfectly mirrors the metaphor that Moshe Rabbeinu uses. Where does Moshe Rabbeinu wax poetic? Where does he use, employ metaphor? He employs and uses metaphor in the parsha called Ha'azinu, the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy. And there, after Moshe Rabbeinu begins and tells the people, today I'm going to die, and I know that you will never deny that God gave you a Torah, and I know that in the end you'll know you're duty-bound 
to observe all the mitzvahs. However, you know, there might be those who deny this covenant, so I'll make sure you're all here. And there's a, a, a whole preface to this business of Hazinu. And he says, Listen, O heaven, and I will speak here, O earth, the words of my mouth. And the first thing Moshe Rabbeinu says is, Ya'arif kamotor. He says, addressing the people, my Torah, Ya'arif kamotor likhi. So my lekach, my doctrine, the thing, the Torah I taught you, he says, will be like drops falling from the heaven, giving you life, as does rain to the world. So Moshe Rabbeinu, when he waxes poetic, and Moshe Rabbeinu is never known for his oratory. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't use beautiful words. He's blunt. In fact, when God says you have to speak to the woman, he said you better speak softly. God had to give him a special instruction about speaking softly. That was not the forte of Moshe. Moshe did not use lacy, frilly words to present his case. He said the truth, the truth and nothing but the truth, and all of the truth, unvarnished and unadorned, no oratory whatsoever. He stammered. He said exactly the word of Hashem. And there is one part of Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy that is couched in terminology and syntax that seems or reflects a poetry. It's a song. So when Moshe Rabbeinu uses that poetry, when he uses this prophetic poetry, he says that Yarev Kamotor, the first metaphor that he uses to describe the Torah he taught is rain. That's pretty compelling. So the Medrash Tillam says, what do you, you have a problem with me suggesting a metaphor of people opening their mouth to catch the drops of rain? You open your mouth wide because can't get the rain in otherwise. You have to have the largest area of coverage. You open your mouth as wide as you can, and then you take the rain in. So says, that's, that's a perfect metaphor for Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu uses that metaphor. It's the first metaphor he employs in Hazinu. Ya'arev kamotor likhi. And that's why he says, Piparti. That's why he says, my mouth opens wide. Then the Medrash Tillam does something very interesting. The Medrash Tillam says, Kumayataninim She'oifim ruach, like whales who come to suck in air. See that the whales come to the surface. People go whale watching. You want to see the whale come to the surface and then they blow the water because the whale is actually a mammal. He actually has lungs. The whale actually breathes and it has to continuously come to the surface to take in a breath and then it dives down into the sea. So the whale comes and sucks in air, enormous amount of air through the orifice on its head. Kach, so too, ani, hayiti, sho'ef letoroscha. I was sucking in your Torah. So now, we look at the Medrash, the Medrash Tillim, we have two details that are being spoken of. He doesn't talk about food at all. He doesn't say anything about eating over here. The mouth opens and, sw- and, he, and he swallows. But when you eat, there's an opening of a mouth, and then, a sw- and then a chewing, and then a swallowing. But there's no indication whatsoever of any kind of chewing. No indication whatsoever of any kind of preparing the food so that it can be swallowed. It's pi po arti. I open my mouth very wide. Ve'eshofa. 
From a wide open mouth, we go straight to swallowing. So you have only two possibilities. One possibility, said the Medrash, is water, hydration. And the reason you have to open your mouth wide for hydration is because you're not drinking from a cup or a bottle or a jug. You're rather, you're trying to get as much rain in your mouth as you can. So you're opening your mouth so that you can create the largest area of coverage so that the most drops possible will go in. And when those raindrops go in, where will they go? You'll swallow them. You don't chew water. You don't have to swish water. Water goes right down the throat. So, Moshe Rabbeinu uses that metaphor. It's a perfect metaphor. So the first thing the Medrash talks about is ingesting the idea, swallowing the water. A beautiful metaphor, a mosaic metaphor. But then the Medrash Tillam is not happy. Medrash Tillam says there is this notion of sucking in the air. And David Melech says, I'm sucking in the Torah like a whale sucks in an enormous volume of air. The Medrash talks about water and the Medrash talks about air. Now I ask you, which is the pshuto shal mikra? Which is the simple pshat? Water or air? And I would like to suggest to you tonight that Rashi does not have a compelling uh, narrative either way. The metaphor could be water. The metaphor could be air. And because the metaphor can go either way, Rashi doesn't wade into the controversy. He simply says, there's something being swallowed up. That's all. Pipa arti, the mouth open wides and swallows up. And it's self-understood that if the mouth opens wide and swallowed up, it's got to be air or water or something that doesn't require any chewing. Rashi doesn't get into that because in Pshut Mikra, it doesn't indicate one or the other. Anyway, that's my little thesis as to why Rashi does not, why Rashi chooses specifically not to elaborate and not to explain anything more or deeper than that. However, I must tell you that the Radak takes this in a very different direction. And he actually does explain the mechanics of how this works. Rabbi Yudav Kimchi says that Lashen She'ifa is Meshichas Ha'avid Alapeh. He's very, very specific. He says, yes, this refers to air. It's not water. It's air. Sucking in air. So, <laughs> sucking in air, why, 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 what, what, why do you have to open your mouth to suck in air? Like, something's not adding up here. We suck air, we take air without even thinking about it. In fact, it's almost like a mindless thing. So he says something very interesting. He says, The metaphor here is for a person who's extremely hungry. He's craving food. And because he's very hungry, in anticipation of the food, what happens is, they bring the food, from great craving and from excitement and from anticipation of being able to eat, he opens his mouth wide to be able to take in the food. I and mean, we're talking about a starving person, right? He's gulping down the food. But before the starving person gulps down the food, the natural thing is, he's opening his mouth wide. What happens when you open your mouth wide? So when you open your mouth wide, automatically, so before the food actually ends up in his mouth, 
he draws nothing but air. So this would be a very detailed description of a person who is tremendously hungry, who's like so excited that his mouth is, is, is a, as wide as could possibly be. When I was a little boy, I remember being very hungry. Amay Zedel of Shalom used to tell me, Chapnis can haste selection. Don't gulp down hot macaroni <laughs> or pasta. It's a Yiddish expression. And I understood it to be chapen selection is when you eat like <laughs> slipping the food down and you're actually breathing or taking air in before the food even makes it down, before you can swallow the food, you're swallowing air because you're so hungry, because you're so excited, because your, your anticipation for the food is so great. So essentially, as we talk about the person who gulps down the food, says Radak, that's how David describes his desire for Hashem's Torah. And David Amalek used the word Ya'avti. Radak also, like Ibn Ezra says, Yechidi b'mikra, this is the only one. Never else will you find the word lust. You'll find somebody, but in one translation of the Talmud, they say, panting for Torah. So I guess it's kind of like a funny word to use, I guess, because it's drawing in air, but panting indicates that you're trying to suck or bring, draw air in, but it's not what it is actually. You're not drawing in air. You're opening your mouth wide and you're, you're trying, in anticipation, the air rushes in. Not that you're actively panting or actively, you open your mouth so wide, automatically the air rushes in. So what's the problem with all this? The problem with all this is that Torah is actually metaphorized as food. But Torah, very much unlike breathing, does not happen by itself. You, you don't absorb Torah by accident. You don't become wise by mistake. Torah is something that you have to work very hard at. As that famous Gemara tells us in Mesechas Pesachim, Gaito Umatsasa, first and foremost, that's talking about the study of Torah. If you toil and then you found success, you ought to be believed. If you say you found success without toiling, impossible. And whatever success you found is not the success you could have achieved. If you are a kind of person who went ahead and despite the fact that you didn't really work hard at all, worked very, very hard, pardon me, you toiled away, but you found no success, impossible. When it comes to Torah study, which ultimately by expression and extension means all of Yiddishkeit, if you make the effort, you'll have to succeed. So Torah comes along with Yegiyah. We call it Yegiyah B'Torah, toil in Torah. But breathing is not a laborious thing. It's not something that's labor-intensive. We don't labor to breathe. If you're laboring to breathe, you're either in a very bad place without a supply of oxygen, or you're really sick. You're really not well. You have lung disease. You have some kind of respiratory collapse. And that's why you're gasping for breath. They actually have to push the air down your throat, which is what like a ventilator is. And then a respirator is your lungs aren't working at all. Your lungs actually have to be pumped. Your lungs have to be, there's somebody else breathing for you. Not just that you're being given air, giving oxygen, but you're actually on the machine. The machine's actually breathing, moving, doing the things your lungs are supposed to do. That's a, a, a profound state of illness, weakness, and malaise. We're not talking about that air. So really, taking air in, or by the way, catching raindrops, is not something that, that is really very metaphorical of Torah because 
Torah, you don't just uh, sit there with your mouth open. Torah, you're going to work at it. You know, people work at it. When they're eating, they, they get into it, and they eat, and they enjoy, and they bite, and they chomp, and it's, a, it's intense. People sometimes get tired after they eat. So this is strange. This is, how, how does this work? So, so the, the, Me'iri, the Me'iri shed some light here. Pun intended. He says like this. He says, Pe'ira sapeh, this opening of the mouth, which refers to harchava sapeh, refers to a wide open mouth. He says, harchava yaseira, unusually wide open mouth. He says, this she'ifa, this, this, if you will, sucking in or drawing in, it's meshichas dover ala it indi- indicates something being drawn into the mouth. bimehirus. Means you suck it in or take it in very, very quickly. And he says, this is indicative of simcha yaseira and toyovin. This shows that you're happy to be there. You're enjoying this activity. You're doing it with appetite. You're eating with gusto. He said, so much so that the opening of the mouth because of the desire becomes a metaphor for the person's opening of the mouth in anticipation of the Torah. In other words, according to the Me'iri, this is not a description of Torah study itself. This is a description of the desire to study Torah. Pipa Arti Ve'eshofa does not refer to Torah study. It refers to the excitement, the anticipation, the exuberance, the appetite with which one approaches the study of Torah. The joy one gets out of, we're going to learn Torah now. Amazing. I can't wait to take it in. In the words of Rabbeinu Yitzchak Chiyun, the last sage rabbi of Portugal, of Lisbon before the Inquisition, he says that here David Melech seeks letaer to describe cheshke batera. What a desire he has! What an excitement he has for Torah! And he goes further and he says, "This is like a person who sometimes is desperate for a breath of fresh air. You're in a place where they're smoking." Or maybe you're in a place where the oxygen is not plentiful and you're dying for some a breath of fresh air, proverbially and literally. Literally in a meta- metaphoric sense. Proverbially, we actually use this idea. Oh, some fresh air finally. So Dovin HaMelech, when he sat down to study Torah, didn't say, oh no, study Torah again. I, I learned this already. It was a breath of fresh air for Dovin HaMelech. So you see the way the Rabbeinu Yitzchak Chiyun is taking it, he's taking it in the direction of literally seeking out that breath of fresh air. So, but Rashi doesn't go there. Rashi doesn't say, speak about seeking out a breath of fresh air. He doesn't say if this is a person who's eating and because they're eating, their mouth is open wide, so fresh or air or lots of oxygen rushes into the lungs. He doesn't say that the person is like opening their mouth because they're trying to swallow the water in as much as water might be a metaphor for Torah. Because in Pshuta Shalmikra, if we read this verse straightforwardly, it could mean all of those. What you must know is that you're swallowing something. This is a desire to absorb. David HaMelech desired, craved, lusted, wanted, was excited to absorb the Torah. The Malbim takes this 
even further. He says, you know, when a person, God forbid, can't breathe, the desire to take a breath is unbelievable. And he says, you, you can't go for an extended period without taking a breath. Oxygen is a constant. We always need oxygen. Now you can hold your breath for a little while, but you need oxygen. You need intake. And he says, this metaphor is the apt metaphor for Torah because what we're saying is that from a Yiddishkeit perspective, a Yid cannot live without Torah. It's like oxygen. And if I don't have oxygen, I can't live. If I can't study Torah, I can't live. Which is kind of in the image of the story of Rabbi Akiva who metaphorized the Torah he was teaching, even though it was outlawed. And Papa Ben Yehuda, this renegade the Jew says to him, uh, violating the law, they're going to kill you in the end. They did, by the way, unfortunately and tragically. But he saw the Papas, it's not, a, it's not an option. The, not studying Torah is not an option. And he, the metaphor that he used was fish, which is kind of not with air. <laughs> fish who don't breathe oxygen. The fish in the water, he said, and they were hither and thither. And the fox, slever, sly and clever fox, says to the fish, what is this so much anxiety? Why are you... Fleeting, flitting back and forth with such, such, such concern and such speed. And they said, we're afraid of the fishermen's nets. And the fox said, come on the dry land. Here, there are no fishermen's nets. And the fish said, foolish fox, here we may be caught. There we certainly die. And Rabbi Kiva told Papas, if I stop teaching Torah, we aren't. Then the Jewish people are no longer. But if I continue to study Torah, maybe I will be caught. Rabbi Akiva was in the end. He died a martyr's death. Al Kiddush Hashem. But he never stopped teaching Torah. Because my dear friends, for us, Torah is like oxygen. But Rashi doesn't go there. He doesn't, doesn't talk about one metaphor or the other. If you, if you want to follow more the path of uh, Radak, who talks about the notion of appetite and food about to be eaten, it's interesting to note that the Mizmer Latoda explains this verse in the following manner. He says, David HaMelech had such a desire for Torah, he didn't have to taste like a person who is certain that the food is a masterpiece. Like, if you never had it, how do you know you're going to like it? If you, if you had this dish once, you know, you know, people go to a restaurant that's predictable, they know what they're getting, they know how it's coming, they know what it tastes like. It's a new dish. What does it taste like? So when people sit down and eat a new dish, they don't know what it tastes like. They're, they're like they taste it gingerly before they sink their teeth in or you know, get into it with gusto. But David HaMelech said, when it comes to Torah, I didn't have to taste it. I didn't have to put a little bit of soup in my mouth to see if I'm excited about having this. He says, miyad, immediately, party, I open my mouth. Why? How did you know you're going to like it? Says David HaMelech, according to the Mizmah Seda, because, because it's your mitzvah I desired. Your mitzvahs I desired, I crave, means I wasn't looking to light my own candle. I wasn't seeking self-actualization. I wasn't going to see if I enjoy this mitzvah or don't enjoy this mitzvah. I wanted to be able to immerse myself in a mitzvah because it's Hashem's mitzvah. And if it's your mitzvah, Rabbi Shalom, Almighty God, if it's your commandment, there's no questions. If it's yours, it's already good for me. It's already good for me. And why the connection between Torah that leads directly into mitzvah says the Tehillah Hashem, after all, ain't bur The Mishnah tells us that the person who is unlettered, unsophisticated in Torah study, doesn't learn Torah, cannot have reverence for heaven. He cannot be a person who's pious. 
Mitzvahs are the litmus test. If a person observes the mitzvahs, then we know that the Torah being studied is done so with integrity. And we know that it's real. But if it's Torah being studied academically and it isn't translated into practice, it isn't mitzvahs that are acted upon, then in that case, it is something that is evanescent and passing and will not withstand the stormy winds. As the Mishnah tells us, call Shemaisov Merube Mechachmasei. Anybody whose deeds, whose actions in the realm of mitzvahs exceed their Torah study. Lemohodeimer, what is he metaphorized as? A tree who has a deep, deep, deep span of roots, but not nearly as great a span of branches. But the person who has very few mitzvahs, it was not deeply rooted, because the mitzvahs are the roots. The mitzvahs would give us our staying power. That's where we're able to derive our nourishment from. But if all you have is academic Judaism, you enjoy education, you like studying Torah, but you have no intention of following through with action, then you have a beautiful tree. But in a moment, it can be uprooted. The hurricane comes and the tree goes flying. Why? Because it's not solidly rooted. So really and truly, David HaMelech's love of Torah, his desire for Torah, was not because he enjoyed academia. It wasn't because he was delighted by the intellectual pursuit. He found it entertaining, chas v'sholem. For David HaMelech, this was the way that he could be connected to Hashem. And of course, a mitzvah, as Hasidus explains, is the idea of a tzavtzav a chibur. It's a mechanism. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a convention through which we can become connected to God. In fact, it becomes the most perfect expression of what Hashem wants, far more than what we understand. Our understanding is always limited. As deep under, as understanding as we'll have in Torah, we'll never be able to fathom the true essence of God's Torah. As much fervor and passion as we can muster, it's only the fervor and passion that we can muster in accordance with our own emotional range of ability. But when you do a mitzvah, when you do it to the Bainer Shalilam once or the master of the universe once, that's exactly what God wanted, precisely, exactly what Hashem expected, wanted, and asked of us. And so David Amalek said, what did he crave? He craved a mitzvah. Not because it was self-rewarding, not because it was self-fulfilling, but for David HaMelech, his closeness to Hashem was the thing he lusted and craved most. And therefore, people Arti, he came to the Torah with a great appetite, with a great desire. And now, once you begin to understand it this way, you start to appreciate that David HaMelech ultimately did not only desire the notion of studying Torah, but really what he desired also was the mitzvahs. And that's what brings the beginning of the Pasuk and the end of the Pasuk together. Pi parti ver shofo is a description of great anticipation, great excitement, the starving person gulping down the food, the person who's so excited that he opens his mouth wide and air rushes in. But kila mitzvah Why is there such an excitement to study Torah? Because once we study Torah and understand the profundity and the details of what you're supposed to do in a mitzvah. So then the mitzvah can be carried out, and that was the ultimate goal, David HaMelech's penultimate mission. So now we have a very, very good understanding, I think, of this pasuk, and we can also appreciate why Rashi does not go into the details, because Rashi doesn't choose a particular path here. He allows you to take whatever path you want in Pshut Mikra. He says, the Pshut Mikra is Lashem Bliya. David HaMelech is absorbing. It could be absorbing water. It could be absorbing food, trying to absorb food, even the idea of eating food. It could be the idea of absorbing air. It's all inclusive. 
They're all inclusive. De- depending on, on how you understand, from which dimension, from which perspective, you look at these words and how you appreciate the statement, all of it not, not, is, 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 is a reflection of the pshuto, of the straightforward, meaning none of it can be, so to speak, specific, where Rashi has to hew out a particular groove or chart a, a unique or particular course and say, this is the pshuto shal mikra. Rabbeinu Moshe Alshech, in his commentary on Tilim, which is called Romamot Kale, he goes on to say that this idea of Eshofa means, like Rashi says, Belia, he says it means to swallow very deeply. It means to absorb very deeply. To absorb so deeply that you want to retain it. He said that's the idea. Pi Eshofa, the opens wide to absorb, but not temporarily. To absorb in a way that is lasting. And he says, earlier we talked about the way the stories of Torah illuminate us. Stories of Bereshis, the ideas of Torah. And that, that these ideas, we said, become something that makes the fool wise. Pesach dvorach your opening words illuminate. Mevim soy. But now, says the al from there, David HaMelech moves on to his desire not just to be illuminated, not just to have clarity insofar as the notion of God's ongoing, continuing creation are concerned, and the mission and the purpose of God bringing the universe into existence. But rather, David HaMelech says, now, with great gusto, I move forward in your Torah, and here he refers not to Bereshus, but to the beginning of Exodus, where finally, after the Pharaoh has been confronted by Moses and a number of the plagues have unfolded, we get our first mitzvah. We get a first mitzvah. Seven plagues down, three to go, and we get a first mitzvah, and that is hachedesh hazelachem. You'll be sanctifying time. You'll be creating a mitzvah calendar. There'll be holidays and observances. That's what David Amel's thirst is. And according to the Alshel, that's where it follows the previous verses. There's the wondrous nature, the unfathomable ideas of Torah, which we, which we talked about were creation. There's Pesach Dvarech there's the illuminating early words of Torah. And then the Alshach says, then David Melch opens wide, because now we're learning practical Torah. Now we'll begin to study Torah that speaks about how we, the Jewish people, can actually observe the will of Hashem and become an extension of God's desire on planet Earth. And now, once we've come here, kind of kind of full circle, meaning talked already the words of the Alshach who discusses the concept of, of the previous verses. At this point, I wanted to introduce you to the commentary on the Sephardim that I haven't talked about for the last couple of classes. The Sephardim takes a very unique approach to the first three verses that correspond to the letter pay. In fact, the Sephardim, perhaps based on the Medrash Tillam, sees these entire expressions, all of them, all three, all three verses, he sees all of them as reflective of Parsha Tazino. And he says, Your words are wondrous. He says, that refers to Hazino. Because Hazino, that's where the Jewish people are given a glimpse into the future. Nachmanani's famously taught that everything that happens to everybody is found in Parsha Hazino. And so all of Jewish history is tucked into the folds of this magnificent prophetic 
pros. And that's why, because it's so unfathomable, because the story of Jewish survival and triumph is so unbelievable, it's so, it's so off the charts. That's why, indeed, we never ever stop to do your mitzvahs. This, says the Sepharno, takes us back to the previous Torah portion, verse 31, in, verse, in uh, chapter 31, verse 21, where it says, V'onsa hashira hazois, that this poem, these beautiful words, will become the effective witness. They will, so to speak, if you will, bear witness. Kiloi sishochach, that the Jewish people will never forget the Torah. And they will always hold fast to its observance. And although there are many, many Jews who tragically have drifted away from their faith and have fallen away from the observance of our eternal mitzvot, the Jewish people will always and have always had this resurgence of spirituality, Jewish people coming home, re-embracing the mitzvahs as they reacquaint themselves with the Yiddishkeit. And there is always a foundation, a strong foundation of Torah Jews never let go, who keep the flame of Yiddishkeit burning brightly. Never will the Torah be forgotten for the Jewish people. This, says the Sepharno, is how David HaMelech encapsulates those ideas with And then he says, the next verse is, Your words illuminate. This, says the Sepharno, this refers to the fourth verse of that 32nd chapter, where it says, Hatsur Tomim Pa'olai. God, who's strong as a rock, metaphorically, his action is perfectly measured. God is perfect. So Pesach Dvarea, those opening words, Yo'ir, those, those opening words, Yo'ir, they illuminate, says Sepharno, Eini Haseichel, Ahoven Kavanas Kolashira, that gives us, it opens our eyes to be able to understand to be able to appreciate the deeper message of this poem of testimony. That ultimately, it makes the case for the Jewish people's eternity. And Mavim Psoyim, what is the, how does the verse end? It says, this verse, the next verse uh, speaks about the idea of the Jewish people. If you go right forward to verse 6, it says, Am novel v'loi chacham. means we became a foolish people, unwise. So the Sephardim says, David and Melech is saying the exact opposite. If you take these words to heart, it will be mavim psoyim. It will make those who are foolish wise. So this is all about the shira, according to the Sephardim. And the Sephardim says, Pipa arti, my mouth opens. Once again, a euphemism. A euphemism that takes us back to Parshas Vayelech, where we're being introduced to this song. And it says in verse 19, Kisvul Ashira, write this, inscribe this poem. The Lamda as Bnei Yisrael, teach it to the Jewish people. Sima Befihem, place it into their mouths. He says this means that they should know it by heart. And by the way, the Friedrich Rebbe once said that if Balabatim would know, how valuable and virtuous it is to know Hazino by heart, how much it could help them in the area of making a living, as they say, of Parnassah, then all the Balabatim would know Hazino by heart. 
So it says, we're actually told, Sima Befihim, place it into their mouth. That's the Piparti, that's the opening of the mouth, so that the Shira can be placed in the mouth. The Eshafa, he says, and I swallow deeply, that's that we should understand the details. That's exactly what we just talked about in verse 21 to fulfill the Ansa Shira Zeis, that this poem will give testimony. The Torah will not be forgotten. Anyway, that was sweet how the Sepharno interprets all three verses. He strings them together as reflective of the concept of the Shira, the poetic song of David HaMelech, the Shira of Hazim. Now, at this point, where we have a, a, a pretty decent understanding of verse 131, now we can move forward and turn to verse 132. And so David Amela continues and he says, As such, Pnei Eli. Pnei Eli means Hashem says, turn to me. Now David Amela is making a request. Because I have such a desire and a craving. Because I anticipate and appreciate the Torah so much. Dear God, turn to me. V'choneni, and favor me or be gracious to me. Kimishpat, kimishpat means literally as per the rule. The rule of thumb. Be gracious to me as per the law and order of things. Li'oy ha'veshmecha, to those who love your name. What does David HaMelech mean to say when he opens this next verse as if following what he said before, and therefore he says, Pnei what follows is, turn to me, and now HaKadosh Baruch Hu should, so to speak, give me kemishpat, exactly what I am asking for, or exactly what I need. So the Metzudah's David says, kemishpat means kerau'i, as is appropriate, lechanen, to be gracious, li'ohav shemecha, I love you, God, I love you. David HaMelech is in a love affair with God. He's so excited about God's Torah. But he's even more excited to do what pleases God. What does it mean, does it mean David HaMelech? He yearned, he craved a mitzvah. Imagine there's somebody you love so much. And the greatest thing is just to bring like a smile to their face. Like the metaphor, it's a Zoharic metaphor, which is talked about in Tanya. Like a, a small child who loves his or her parents so much, they just want the parents to be happy. When the child will toil and work hard in school because my mom and dad are proud of me. And then when they're proud of you, when you win their approval, unfortunately when the teenagers they don't care anymore, but when the little kids and the parents are proud and they're good parents who know how to give a compliment when it's deserved, who know how to convey their satisfaction at the child's good behavior, not giving compliments that are undeserved. That's how you create mediocrities. And not, and not complimenting or speaking highly of behavior which is actually harmful, behavior which is, which is toxic. But the child worked hard, and you're sure to tell them, and the child is so happy. That's all he wants to do. He just please his parents, because they love. The love that small parents have for the small children have for parents is unbelievable. You know, somebody's wooing somebody in a relationship, they're trying to please them. They just want to put a smile on their face. You want to do something that makes you happy. 
Only a chassid will understand what I'm about to tell you right now. But any chassid understood. It was the greatest delight to be able to give nachas to the Rebbe. We loved the Rebbe. We loved the Rebbe. And the Rebbe had nachas. That was, was the greatest thing. For us, that was the greatest reward. That's, that's, it's a better relationship. It's a very powerful relationship. And actually, the Torah says that real Torah teachers are not teachers. They're parents. The disciples are actually children, they're called. In fact, Rashi makes a statement. He says, nowhere in the Torah do we speak about teachers and pupils, students and masters. We speak about children. We speak about parents. You should teach your children. It doesn't just mean your physical children. Teach those who you're teaching. Elisha cries out when Elioa Navi disappears in a flash of light. He says, Ovi, Ovi. He cries out, my father, father. Doesn't say, Rebbe, teacher, father. And like a little child, a chassid has such a delight, a satisfaction, being able to bring nachas. Can't even explain it to you. So this is David HaMelech, my friends. This is David HaMelech. David HaMelech sees a mitzvah as an opportunity to bring nachas to Hashem. That's all he wants. He's the ultimate evid, servant of God. Like a servant who wants to put a smile on his master's face. That's all he wants, David HaMelech. That's all he wants. That's all we should want. That Hashem should be happy with us. That Hashem should have nachas from us. That the Creator should be happy with how His children, Yidin, are behaving. The same way we have with relationships, all kinds of relationships. Whether it's physical parents, whether it's a Torah-teacher kind of parent relationship, whether it's a relationship interpersonal, you want to please your husband, please your wife. Whatever it is. You want to please somebody, you want to impress your mother-in-law. I don't know, whatever it might be. You want to impress, you, you want to do something because you want to make, develop Nurture that relationship. That's what we're talking about. So David HaMelech says, Pnei I want so badly, I want so badly to please you. Please be gracious to me. Kemishpat, like would be expected. If people love you, that's, that's the way you should react to them. The Radak says that Kemishpat means, for example, it says that there's responsibilities that a Jewish husband has towards his wife. And the, the responsibilities, which is normative behavior, to treat a wife like a wife, not a business partner, not a child, certainly not a servant, God forbid. Treat a wife right. So it says, Kemishpat habonis. It might be the Torah there speaks about a relationship, a marriage that didn't come in a natural way, in a, in, in a romantic setting. But nonetheless, once it evolves into a marriage, from what's called an Amo Ivriya becomes a marriage, Kemishpat Habonis. There's the appropriate behavior. Just to be treated with dignity as you treat a wife. So in other words, he says it means choik. It's a statute. It's a minag. It's a, it's, it's a custom. This is what we call what we're accustomed to. What we come to expect. So he says, Kain Tasali. That's what David is asking. That's what he's asking. He says, the way you turn to those who love you, I love you, God. Please turn to me that way. And this makes so much sense. It's such a natural follow-up. David Amel speaks of his burning desire, of his craving, of his lust to do a mitzvah for Hashem. So he says, I love it. I love you. It's all about love. It's all motivated by love. Hashem, therefore, should turn to me in like fashion. Now, very interestingly, it, it, it actually goes 
beyond this. Because, as Rabbeinu Yitzchak Chiyun says, that David HaMelech was seeking ha'oras ponim. He was seeking what we call metaphorically the radiance. You know, like you want a person to smile at you. You get that moment and they smile. And you feel so good about that. That's what he was looking for. Because that's what you do for those who love you. Rabbeinu Shimon Azovedo says, he says, if you read this verse, it seems to be a bit contradictory. He says, turn to me and favor me. And then it says, Kemishpat. Kemishpat is what's expected. Like, like the rule of law, rule of thumb, or what we're accustomed to. He says, the word Choneni is the idea of Matnas Chinam. It's unwarranted. David Amel says, I'm undeserving. Like Moshe Rabbeinu opens the second parsha, second Torah portion in the fifth book, the book of Deuteronomy says, And Rashi says, what is the meaning of Eschanon? Eschanon means that David the Moshe Rabbeinu asked for matnas chinam. He asked God to be gracious. I'm not, I don't deserve anything. I have no expectations of you. But please, please can I? Please, despite the fact that I don't deserve. So David HaMelech says, Rabbi Shimon is asking for matnas chinam. He's not saying he deserves and a moment later he says, Kamishpat. So Rabbi Shimon explains it this way. He says, I don't see myself as deserving. I don't deserve anything. But he says, my companions, my peers, which who they are, which they do, they love you. This is not David Amalek patting himself on the back saying, I love you. According to Rabbi Shimon, David Amalek is making two different requests here. He's saying, Dear God, please look at me, be gracious to me, smile to me, and to my friends who love you. To them you should do as they deserve. So he's actually a real Rebbe. He's davening for everybody else. So I deserve nothing. I ask nothing. I have no expectation. I have no entitlement. But for others, they should receive what they're looking for. The Tehillah Hashem says that with a little bit of humor and creativity, David HaMelech was saying, I'm asking you to be gracious for Matnas Chinam because I have no, so to speak, merit. Nonetheless, that is the way. That is the rule for Oyeveshmecha. never expect anything. Entitlement is a is a rotten way to live. David Amalek says, Oyeveshmecha do not have entitlement. They don't make demands. They did it out of love. They don't have expectations. I want you to be gracious to me, not because I deserve it, but Kemishpat Oyeveshmecha. Like those who ask for a mat naschinam. And he says, what did Moshe Rabbeinu want? The Zegemar in Masech on page 14 says, Why did David HaMelech so ardently desire to go into the land of Israel? The Gemara says, L'kayim mitzvah at Luis Baretz. He wanted to fulfill the mitzvahs. The Gemara puts it this way. What Moshe Rabbeinu was a man who was motivated by succulent dates. He needed to taste the figs of Israel. He couldn't, get, couldn't wait to get his hands on a cluster of grapes. No, no, no. He wanted to do mitzvahs. And he said, I don't deserve anything. I'm not, I'm not saying I deserve anything. But, but I'm asking you, please be gracious to me. And this is David HaMelech here echoing actually Moshe Rabbeinu's sentiment by saying, I'm asking that you should grant me the privilege of doing mitzvahs. How incredible is that? 
What's the mishpat? Ke mishpat You give those who love you, those who love you, they just want to do your mitzvahs. God, I don't want anything. I just want the relationship. No reward. I'm going to ask you for any reward. There's an amazing story that's told about the Magad of Mizrich, that there was once in, in his area in Russia, where he lived in Mizrich, that there was no esrog. And somebody happened to come through town, and somebody happened to have an esrog, and he was traveling elsewhere. And the Magad offered him exorbitant sums of money, and he refused to take any money. And finally, he's, the Magad said to him, I'll give you half of my Ganeidin, I'll give you half of my heaven. And this the man couldn't refuse. He says, for half of the Magad's heaven, no problem. Or whatever it was, the, 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 the Ganeidin that he would have through this mitzvah. Something like that. And the Magad, his Talmidim were shaken to the core by these words. And the Magad was so happy and he said, finally now I can serve Hashem without a reward. That's, that's the tzaddikim are really in love with God. Serve Hashem without a reward. This was David Amalek's request. The Shari Chaim says, verse 132 is a direct continuation of verse 131. Pipo arti shofo. I opened my mouth wide and I swallowed, means when Torah, when I, when, when Torah reached me, an opportunity for Torah to, to reach me, I opened my mouth wide and swallowed wholesale. I didn't get to chew it. I didn't get to appreciate the details. But now I'm asking you, dear God, after I've absorbed all this Torah and swallowed it without even proverbially chewing it to taste and understand the details, Avakesh, now I request now give me, be gracious to me, and give me the ability to understand the Torah that I studied. Sometimes you're absorbing so many ideas, you don't even know what you just said. You don't even know what you learned, because it's so overwhelming. And he says, this was David Melch asking, not for more mitzvahs, but the Shar Chaim's way of explaining it, asking for a proper and a profound understanding of Torah. And he says, really, this is about retention. Because he asked for a gift. He says, you know the meaning of a gift of Hashem? Some people give gifts and take it back, but not Hashem. He says, in Hashem, the gifts, Hamatona Hashem, the gift that God gives, Yiyelamis. If God gives a gift, it'll be mine forever. It'll never be taken away. As it says, as our rabbi said, From heaven they give. From heaven they don't take. And the intention here is, that what David Amalek will be given from heaven will never be taken away. And so he asks, Pnei Eli, turn to me, v'choneini, give me this gift. I don't want to earn it, I want a gift. Because it will be because then it will be along the rule, along the lines of the way it is for those who truly love you. Meaning David Amalek would have retention. He'd be able to hold on to this. So now we have the next two verses of the letters of Pei. We're halfway through Pei now. And we see how David HaMelech had this tremendous, tremendous yearning, tremendous desire, tremendous love for Torah. So after waxing about, poetic about how wondrous Torah is, how powerful Torah is, now David HaMelech bears his soul and he shares with us what he was really looking for. And in closing, I just want to suggest to all of you that this should inspire us. This should motivate us. This should, this should really uplift us. When you hear about David Melech and what his desires were, we too should desire to study Torah. We too should crave the knowledge of Hashem's Torah. We should lust Hashem's mitzvahs. It should be a labor of love for us. The Ebishter will help, and we will love Hashem and serve Hashem wholeheartedly. 
we will desire and pine and yearn, panting for a mitzvah. When we do so, then HaKadosh Baruch will give us Kemishpat Le'evi Shemecha. He'll bring us, Hashem, the coming of Mashiach, and the endless knowledge that will become ours, the Meherah will be Ameno Amen.